welcome to Let's Talk Divorce, a podcast that brings to you real stories of Indian divorces and separations told by divorcees, lawyers, counsellors and others who have gone through the process and are here to share. Today, I'll be speaking to Janaki, a lawyer practicing in Hyderabad. Janaki talks about the different laws that govern us with regards to marriage and divorce. And she also talks about the kinds of divorce that are available to someone in India, such as mutual consent and contested divorce. She talks about what happens in court and the procedures or practicalities that one has to follow in order to obtain a divorce. Hi, Janaki. Uh, welcome to Let's Talk Divorce. Uh, I'm so glad you're here to provide uh, some insight and perspective for uh, those of us who are completely unfamiliar with the divorce process in India and really don't know where to start or how to start. And I think uh, it'll be really valuable, um, you know, in terms of just knowing what is divorce and uh, what are the types of divorce available to uh, someone in India. So could you could you start by talking a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, hi, Palvi. Um, glad to be here. Uh, yeah, so matters of divorce in India are uh, basically governed by a personal law that is uh, the law based on the religion you follow or the customs under which your marriage was performed, etc. So uh, it'll, your marriage will typically be performed under a particular act, like say the Hindu Marriage Act or the Christian Marriage Act, etc. So that will be your personal law, and that'll that's what will govern the uh, substantial part of it. That is, you know, uh, the grounds on which you can seek a divorce or the different uh, time periods stipulated for the the stages in the dispute, etc. So this will be governed by your personal law. Otherwise, the procedural aspect of the entire dispute, irrespective of your personal law, will be governed by the CPC, that is the Civil Procedure Code. So this is common to all cases of divorce irrespective of your personal law. Today, we'll be discussing more to do with the procedural aspect of it. So it'll be the general procedural part of it that's common to all divorce disputes. Uh, And we won't be going into the details that are personal or specific. Okay, understood. Uh, But yeah, it's good to know that, you know, there are... uh sort of two different kinds of laws uh, that we are governed by. And I'm guessing that in the case where, um, you know, a a personal law is not specified, then it would go primarily through uh, the procedural one. Uh, Yeah, you could say so. You could, you could say so. Yeah, maybe that's a topic for another podcast. Um, But yeah, could you, could you talk about the, the procedural bit and, you know, the types of divorce, available to someone, um, how can uh, someone apply for divorce and what are the kinds of divorce that they can apply for? So firstly, when you consider a divorce, you uh, might want to explore, you know, options of a mediation or marriage counseling, etc. You have professionals offering these services to you. And even after doing so, if you are still certain and you've decided to go ahead with the divorce, then you approach a lawyer. And uh, you will want to, uh, you'll have to go to either someone who specializes in family law or a civil lawyer who practices in the trial court, because like we just discussed, it's, it's a civil dispute. So 
so you can also represent party in person without hiring a lawyer that is you represent your yourself in and in fact in uh in family disputes the party is the one who is more crucial their presence is is, is essential uh, unless otherwise exempted so even okay. even when we Could as counsel what, what does that mean what is uh, what what do you mean by family dispute today we we talk about divorce but uh, family dispute is a broad term sort of uh, you know that that consists of even even a property disputes between family members are are treated as family disputes today but yeah more so in the case so in that case the presence of that person is important right not not so much in property disputes but when it comes to divorce uh, matters the presence of the party is really crucial so okay. even if i as a counsel uh, when i'm representing my clients the first thing the judge will ask uh, the lawyers as soon as we step up before the bench is uh, is the party present where's the party uh, yeah th- that's that's how important the presence of the party is so the law right. certainly permits you to represent yourself but it's mm. always better to hire a lawyer because you know they're familiar with the law and the proceedings of the court etc okay so yeah um and when you're going to your lawyer uh you'll you'll want to procure and collect all the important documents before you go to your lawyer so right. uh irrespective of the kind of divorce and the particular issues raised in your dispute uh some of the essential documents you need are things like your marriage certificate your wedding invitation card wedding photographs etc these you will need is there are there sort of uh replacements so let's say i um you know don't have a marriage certificate but just uh, a wedding ceremony was performed would it be enough for me to just have the wedding card and uh, photos um i mean usually the courts would insist on a marriage certificate but uh, uh yeah i mean so today even a live in relationship is sort of considered as a marriage and okay. uh, uh but yeah i i i'm sure you know you can prove it through ceremonies or customs right. that have sort of you know been performed but uh, right it is always better to have a certificate you know so make sure you register your marriage as soon as the marriage is performed Okay, uh, got it. Yeah. So these are uh, some of the essential documents you will need and apart from that depending on the questions and issues you've raised in your dispute and what you seek to establish you will probably need uh, uh things like WhatsApp conversations or email conversations any other correspondence you've exchanged or documents relating to property you own jointly or if you have a child then their birth certificate so th- these depending on uh, what your dispute consists of so you you'll want to procure all this before you go to your lawyer it will really help the lawyer also sort of understand the dispute better yeah and when you uh, go to your lawyer please disclose everything to them do not withhold any information even yeah. if you feel that something is unnecessary that's okay but please yeah. disclose it to the lawyer Uh, and this is why choosing a lawyer you're comfortable with also beca- becomes important right and uh, so you have that level of comfort where you're you're okay with uh, disclosing even like personal very private details of your marriage and and uh, more so in the case of women because uh, they are the ones who are subject to more judgment and there's more stigma right. attached in their case so yes yeah, right. so choose someone 
would uh, you know make the entire process less painful for you so once you've decided to go ahead with the filing um, you'll have to decide whether you want uh, a mutual consent divorce or a contested one right sorry i just wanted to uh, just interrupt um yeah could you talk a little bit more about the confidentiality uh, bit because i see that uh, a lot of people uh, one is find it hard to find a lawyer they can trust yeah. and also you know uh, sometimes feel like there are certain details like you said uh, are not necessary or not relevant to the case right. so can you talk about why you know disclosing everything is important right um so firstly uh, the lawyers do or you know uh, uh, this confidentiality to you they they're not supposed to reveal any of what you tell them to anybody else yeah i think that's important to know uh, for people to know so that they they can tell the lawyer things and you know without feeling conscious or feeling correct, like correct yeah so it's it's like yeah. your therapist or your doctor right they owe that that duty to you so they are going to keep things confidential and uh, there won't be as much judgment as you would probably expect because these are things lawyers see on you know a regular basis as part of their work so they're not going to judge you as much as you think a person would they they're really okay with listening to all of this and it's really important to reveal every little piece of information uh, whether trivial or not because um i mean as a lay person you probably will not know uh, you know what could constitute what what could go against you and what you essentially need to put in your petition to get the kind of relief you're looking for so uh, let the lawyer do that part that's their job so uh, leave it to them uh but yeah your part is to disclose everything put everything on the table so they can pick and choose what to present to the court to get the relief get you the relief that you want makes sense yeah i think that's yeah. that's uh, a nice thing to add um so you were saying you kind of ending after the confidentiality thing you were talking about um the uh, the filing process i think uh once you um you decide to go ahead with the filing you you have to decide whether you want a mutual consent divorce or a contested one yeah and the filing uh, procedures i mean the procedures for both sort of differ so we'll we'll talk about the procedure uh, while when we discuss both of so um so contested divorce is when uh, uh, yeah when both the parties do not uh mutually agree to the divorce one party that's uh, the husband or the fi- wife uh, they file a petition seeking a divorce and the other party responds to it denying the allegations and the grounds uh filed by their uh, partner by way of what we call a counter so i'll sort of briefly tell you what the steps involved in a contested divorce are so you understand what the procedure demands of you you file your petition you don't have to issue a notice or anything it's not mandatory you can start off with filing your petition and uh, your petition will um, it's basically describing in 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 detail what transpired between the two of you and how those incidents and actions of your um, spouse amount to the grounds prescribed for divorce and then the court issues a notice to your spouse uh, a copy of your petition is sent to them and they are asked to appear before it 
it's basically giving them an opportunity to be heard and tell the court whatever has to be said from there and in, in their defense. Now, this is where things can get ugly in a contested divorce. So, so you should understand that this petition and the counter, uh, these are very detailed description of facts of your marital life. So it'll have everything that happened between the parties uh, right from the marriage, um, sometimes even from a little earlier than that, to the date of filing. Uh, so this petition uh, that, uh, you know, the person, the petitioner, whoever is filing, um, can the court uh, sort of reject their petition if there's not enough information or evidence at the filing stage itself? So evidence uh, typically comes in a little later part of the entire dispute. Uh, prima facie, if the court wants to reject the petition, it'll be more on uh, extremely procedural grounds. I mean, you can certainly say that there's no cause itself to file this petition. Uh, but even that would mean a reply from the other spouse, that is the respondent. Okay. So in yeah. any given case, the spouse will have to be involved. Yeah, more or less. Yeah. In in okay. most cases, unless uh, apart from like very small minor procedural irregularities, the spouse, the respondent will have to reply to this petition. Okay. Understood. So, so I was saying that um, that contentions from both the sides can get pretty unpleasant. Uh, it can be a, a really it can be really emotionally challenging for uh, both parties. And sometimes um, there is another round of pleadings that that is this petition and this counter are uh, are not enough. So there are sort of rebuttals from both sides again. More paperwork. More, more of so it going is, back. You know, people coming back and saying, no, that's not what I did. And this is what I did. And, you know, providing right. evidence for it and that going back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the petitioner files the petition and then the respondent uh, counters it. And then the petitioner might want to, you know, file what we call a rejoinder. And then the respondent might want to respond to that. So it's a lot of paperwork going back and forth. In order to prove their contentions, uh, uh, parties sometimes tend to go uh, a little too fast sometimes. So, and uh, I've come across petitions where there is uh, character assassination, there's uh, insulting the family members of the spouse, and um, sometimes abuses that were hurled at each other during the fights when the parties were together are quoted verbatim in the petitions and the counters. So, oh, wow. yeah. So That is, yeah, so, revealing yeah, a lot. Yeah. Right. So, and you'll have to understand that having to sit down with a lawyer, uh, get something of this sort drafted uh, or replying right. to it, um, all of this entails, you know, uh, recollecting all the conflicts and all the terrible incidents and experiences that led you to seek this divorce, thinking about it, uh, discussing it, reviewing all these drafts, you know, all of this can be very, very taxing emotionally. Um, and apart from the main dispute, uh, a lot of times um, you have something called an IA cropping up. So uh, IA stands for an interlocutory application. So, so these are... Uh, these are like little ancillary petitions you file for uh, some kind of temporary relief that you want uh, right away, even before the main dispute is decided. 
So, for instance, um, the couple might be fighting a case uh, of divorce and uh, one of them might file an IA for visitation rights or something like that. So what happens in these cases is the IE has to be decided first before moving on to the main dispute of divorce. So again, basically, you know, it'll just make the entire proceedings go on for longer. So after you you have filed your pleadings, that is your petition, your counter, all of that, after all of that paperwork is filed, the court will direct you to attend uh, mandatory counseling sessions. So this is this is irrespective of the kind of uh, evidence that you provide. It could be of uh, physical or extreme right. emotional abuse. Unfortunately, irrespective of that because, evidence, uh, you have to go for counseling. Yeah. So I mean, uh, our system sort of believes um, in trial, right? So unless you know the entire process of trial is done and uh, they're proven, uh, the 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 contentions are proven, uh, they're still going to you know sort of treat both uh, parties fairly, if I can say so. so. Right. And and sort of uh, approach it as, you know, trying to make the marriage successful. Yeah, right, mm-hmm. right. That, that's, that's the assumption from the beginning, right? I mean, uh, the mediation, even, even the terminology they use is uh, if the mediation fails, you know, so... The goal of the mediation is not is always to you know unite the parties, make the protect the protect marriage. marriage, make it stand, and all of that. Um, so the experiences at these sessions really varies. It depends on uh, how sensitive uh, the judge or the counselor you get is, and what you could uh, possibly be asked uh, at these sessions. Uh, ranges right from, uh, you know, uh, what your stand on the main points of conflict is, um, if there's any midway option you're willing to consider, uh, to really, really personal uh, details of your marriage. So you really have to be prepared for that. And you could uh, obviously talk to your lawyer about it, uh, about what you're supposed to be answering so, yeah, so the lawyer is there to support you, to help you understand what you can say. Uh, not not during your mediation session. That will mostly be between, uh, you know, the counsel. More like right. a coaching yeah, prior. You could have that, but I, I, I still think it's, you know, this is entirely on you. Uh, you know, you, he, the lawyer could always right. help you with uh, what to answer with respect to you know, uh, not damaging your case, but uh, but right. these counseling sessions are a little more personal than that, right? So you'll have to be firm mm-hmm. on your stance, and you know, you'll have to be strong right. when you. And the lawyer always can't uh, predict Correct. what they're going to ask, and so yeah, and yes. you'll have to be really strong when you know you're posed with all these insensitive questions. So if the counselling does not result in a compromise and uh, either party wants to go ahead with the divorce, um, the matter goes for a trial. So the trial is when uh, the chief and the cross-examinations happen. So the chief would, uh, again, basically means a little more paperwork. And this is where you submit all the originals of all the evidence you'd filed. Uh, and then the cross-examination happens. So cross-examination, I'm sure most people have an idea uh, from the movies and the TV shows and all of that. 
Uh, right. That's where you're correct. sitting on the witness stand and there's this lawyer who's badgering you with questions. Yeah, for, for okay. the uninitiated, uh, you know, like you said, the, the lawyer of the opposite party is questioning you uh, to prove the facts they seek to establish. So you were questioned from uh, your version of the facts and uh, the evidence you have submitted. Um, and, and yeah, uh, this can be pretty grueling and really emotionally draining, uh, especially because, you know, divorce is a really personal matter and it involves very intimate uh, details. And... See the other uh, other side's lawyers also, you know, trying to protect their clients. So they're going to go all out there, you know. So yeah, that's that's how it is. And again, it goes without saying, it's more difficult for women uh, with the existing power dynamics. Uh, so so yeah, you'll really. I mean, for the women, you'll really want to, you know, go to. A feminist lawyer, you know, who will just make the right uh, whole yeah. process a little because otherwise, you know, you you've already gone through your fair share of trauma, and um, you're probably working with somebody uh, who doesn't understand, or actually, doesn't even, you know, view um, what you need and what you want as something legitimate. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So you really want someone who believes that it's legitimate and is also able to convince the judge and the court with equal conviction. So, um, so yeah. Um, and once this is done with the petitioner, the same process is repeated with the respondent also. And that completes the trial. So after the trial is over, the arguments begin. Uh, this is the part where your lawyer is trying to convince the judge uh, how you know, a particular provision of law does or does not apply to you. He, they're, they're citing judgments, support your case, uh, and basically decide in your favor and all of that. So, uh, yeah, again, the petitioner argues first, and then uh, the respond, it's the respondent's turn. And then, like I said before, there's, again, you know, a back and forth. There's rebutting each other. Again, th- typically, this does not happen in one single proceeding. It's, it's not like, you know, both the lawyers are in the court on the same day, and they're arguing against each other you know yeah it's it's the availability of your lawyer you know it 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 doesn't happen you know in a single proceeding most of the times once the arguments are done uh, the judge will reserve the matter for judgment and pass a decree at their convenience and and it's true that you know the judges in our country are really really overburdened with um, excess workload and it's going to take time for them to pass orders. And when, after the decree is passed, um, the aggrieved party might uh, prefer an appeal on it. And that will basically just prolong it further. Nothing else. Yeah. And like to sum it up, I know like uh, I've roughly spoken about uh, the course of the entire proceedings in, in a few minutes. And it probably sounds like just a couple of stages of a dispute and a few uh, visits to the court and your lawyer should do it. But in actuality, it takes much, much longer than you can imagine. It it really isn't as um, as synchronized as it probably sounded. Every stage does not diligently fall in place right after the previous one. There might be days uh, where nothing really happens and there is no progress in the proceedings. 
there are times uh, the same stage is dragged for more than uh, one uh, uh, you know day of proceeding uh, the purpose of your visit, visit to the court is not served with a single appearance you might have to go back uh, to the court again and it's really impossible to tell how long it would all take so apart from being emotionally taxing um, the duration of the entire trial is is really uncertain and it can go on for pretty long how how long on an average does it take <laughs> see yeah that's difficult to tell but we're definitely looking at anything more than 2 to 3 years at least i think it's good to know a minimum number <laughs> uh, so that you know what you're in for for the next right on an average couple of years uh, at least you know uh, really on an average so yeah um as opposed to this we have the mutual consent way of getting divorce in a mutual consent divorce as 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 the name suggests you uh, both the parties agree upon uh, mutually getting the divorce in parting ways so you discuss with your spouse in advance before proceeding with the filing um if they're interested in a mutual consent divorce you negotiate your terms and you come to a consensus and then approach the uh, i guess this is where uh, the the mediation and the marriage counseling could probably could help, help could where help. you know even if you have decided that you're going ahead with the divorce both parties can right. sort of come on the right. same page through a mediation or through a counseling right. and uh, opt for filing a petition together yeah so um so in in um a mutual consent divorce uh because both of you have agreed uh, upon you know these these mutual terms and both of you have agreed to get the divorce there's there's no concept of a counter unlike in the contested divorce both of bo- both the parties will be known as petitioners there's no respondent also uh and in fact both parties can be uh, represented by the same lawyer you can sit down with the lawyer and draft all your terms together Uh, and you can even be represented by the same lawyer right. in court is that preferable um it is i mean you know if if uh, the parties are not in such a bitter place they're still able to see eye to eye and you know they they're okay with sitting down with a, mm. a third person and you know discussing terms negotiating terms it's 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 perfectly fine it right. saves fees also to be honest so it is preferable in that okay. sense uh, in in mutual consent uh, you submit a petition together so the petition essentially just contains so it will just say that you've uh, tried to put your marriage together but it's it's not working out anymore uh, no no dirt thrown on each other nothing of that sort and that now you want to part and on these terms that's it that's that's all your petition will say um so yeah it your terms can uh, be things like um what you've decided on alimony if if any um custody what you've decided with respect to custody um or if you know things like uh, so you might have some gold or something of that sort exchanged during marriage returning all of that you know settling all of that so these are typically the terms relatively much more very there's neutral you know nothing uh, nothing dirty about it you know you're not disparaging nothing of that sort what is the um what what is the extent to which you need to tell the court that this is not working out for example what do you need to put in the petition that says okay um 
these are the reasons why this marriage is not working. Um, you know, what are those reasons and what would sound convincing to a court? See, in a mutual consent uh, divorce, you can say something as simple as, uh, you know, we're just people of two different mindsets and, you know, we think we cannot continue the marriage. It can be as simple as that. Just as simple as that. That's great. Okay. And and maybe that you have mm-hmm. tried and it hasn't worked out, which is why you want to part ways peacefully. That's it. You you really don't have to say anything more than that. You don't really have mm-hmm. to prove any grounds like cruelty or anything of that sort. I think that's important for people to know because they probably think that, you know, they, you know, need to, like you said, either throw dirt or or do something drastic or say something drastic when, you know, if they are able to just acknowledge that it's not working out and just put that on the paper right. and the court accepts that. Right. I think um, it will just make it easier for people um, to come forward with these yeah. things. Uh, so yeah, once you've uh, filed this petition, you'll uh, the court will di- uh, probably direct a, a mediation or counseling session, mostly just once in case of mutual consent divorce. Um, and you'll have to wait for about... Uh, uh, about six months. That's that's your cooling off period um, to see if there is any chance for reconciliation still. And uh, after this period of six months, you're summoned to the court again, and you're asked if you still want to continue with the divorce. And if both parties confirm that they want to continue the, with the divorce, it's granted. That's it. And uh, off late, okay. even this. So six- this, this six months is just like a break. It's like a it's break. It's not. You don't need to do anything specific. In these six months? Not really. I mean, uh, on paper, it's supposed to be a cooling off period given to see if you guys can reconcile. But I mean, you know, you could you could try and you could tell the court that it hasn't worked out and we still want the divorce. It, it's as simple as that. And even this six months requirement of late is being done away with by courts, you know. Uh, if they are convinced, they've come to the court with a properly set of agreed mutually agreed upon terms saying hey we want to part ways i mean a lot of courts see no point yeah. in that is promising because i guess you know when people are making this decision they've already thought through a lot of things Correct. so so yeah there are cases of late where the, the court you know is saying even the six months are not required you guys have come to us with all of this we just give you the divorce uh so yeah and that's it that's that's the procedure for mutual consent and uh, so, so when you compare uh, the two kinds of divorce, you can clearly see that mutual consent saves time, uh, and it, it's not as emotionally draining because there's no trial. And yeah, so I was saying that uh, when you compare both the kinds of divorces, um, it, it's 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 clearly evident that mutual consent saves time. And it's not as emotionally taxing because there's no process of trial and all of that involved. No, uh, there's not there's not too many petitions going back and forth. This is one petition and that's it. Mutual consent also becomes really easy when the parties are uh, living in two different places. Um, like uh, if one party is not living in the same place that the dispute is going on in, uh, mutual consent becomes much more easier. They can just uh, attend. Uh, they can appear through like video conferencing once or twice and that that should that should be sufficient oh okay yeah so that that is a possibility is it appearing through video that is a possibility if you if someone is abroad or something yeah if yeah if someone's abroad or not in the same city what you'll have to do is uh, you'll have to get uh something called an spa a special power of attorney 
to one of your right. uh, near blood relatives that's that's your parents or your sibling or an aunt or uncle so they'll have to uh, appear mm. before the court physically but to confirm signatures and you know right. for the counseling sessions if you just appear on video conferencing a couple of times that should be enough okay so on your behalf there's a relative who can appear yeah uh, a, a close blood relative that's that's the requirement okay yeah uh, yeah and i what i also wanted to okay. say was um what started off as a contested divorce initially uh can be converted to a mutual mm. consent if you're able to negotiate and come to a consensus so it's it's not too late even if you have right. i'm guessing that after 2 years in the system people <laughs> would want to do that yes i guess, I guess. Uh, yeah i mean uh, ideally it should take yeah. longer than 2 years also a year of it should really tell you you know that uh, there's an easier process yeah. uh, and by that i uh, yeah. you know um so we there are couples you know who are uh, really bitter to each other and they're yelling at each other even in court like before the judge and there are couples who go out to have lunch with each other when the court passes over their matter after after lunch and uh, yeah and there are we've also seen couples where uh, you know who who attend court peacefully they keep to themselves and they conclude the dispute without uh, any conflict in public and and just yeah and that's about it um so yeah yeah it it doesn't have to be a dramatic affair it it can be um a smooth process and like we discussed that's that's why mutual consent uh, is preferable um i think a lot of people believe that a content contested divorce is uh, probably their only option or they choose to go for contested because they think that um, their spouse or their partner is not going to be on the same page and you know it is not easy to get the other person on the same page especially when you want to separate and in in a in a country and a system like india so uh you know how uh you know do you think that there's some way in which people um can know that they can either mediate sessions or talk to their spouse to get them on the same page um for uh, a mutual consent as opposed to going through a contested divorce um uh, you know sort of shifting the rhetoric from contested being the default option to at least considering both options equally uh Uh, yeah like you said earlier what we really see very often is you know disputes starting off as contested and both parties realizing uh, how strenuous it is and moving to mutual consent uh, but apart from that uh, i think if you want uh, people to consider mutual consent as a default option um i think there's more uh, work to be done outside you know the court and the judicial system it it's it's really you know it starts from the very you know basic very uh, basic level of the family where you know they're still uh, supporting you through the divorce and destigmatizing it or at least at the at your in near family level you know i guess it it starts from there and uh, uh the court i mean i with whatever quality you know that's 
I don't know. It's it's probably uh, you know questionable, but they do provide you know um, mediation sessions, mediators, and all of that. Um, so I, yeah, there's there is you know very little the court can do to initiate the process before the marriage. So I think that'll have to come from a place outside the judiciary. Right. So this is something that people take initiative on their own. Right. To- find either a legal mediator or just uh, you know any professional Correct. to um, help them get on the same page and yeah so when when i say uh, mutual consent is preferable um i i don't i don't in any way mean to say uh, you know in any way mean to belittle the struggle of either party or you know like hush their voice or something like that i mean not asking them to refra- refrain from uh, speaking up about what they've been through that's definitely what not what i'm saying uh i'm just trying to lay out uh you know what both paths may entail a mutual consent and a contested divorce and um just suggesting that mutual consent is more peaceful is a more peaceful procedure at least in terms of uh avoiding the institutional setbacks you know because you've obviously got you know uh, your it is a stressful time so that's a no way saying you right. know that uh, you should keep yeah. quiet about of course you know happened. if if you need justice yeah. um, so be it. you know you have to fight so for it, it. Right. Yeah. is there anything that you would like to elaborate about you know even the initial sort of uh, steps that you you spoke of you know how to uh, sort of go through mediation marriage counseling and then approach a lawyer and then sort of uh, figure out how to draft a petition i think a lot of us you know first of all don't know where to find lawyers and then you know uh, don't know where to meet a lawyer or or find someone who we would be comfortable with so we try to tap into uh, networks but that doesn't you know it's it's not always comfortable <laughs> to kind of tell people you know hey i'm getting a divorce you know a, a lawyer yeah so, yeah i mean um, yeah i mean yeah so we're not allowed to solicit <laughs> so this yeah. is how you mostly find your lawyer through your contacts you know through networking um right uh, unfortunately there's yeah. no platform where we can say you know hey we're we're here <laughs> so yeah um and also in in the middle of that you know uh, finding a feminist uh, lawyer who would be empathetic to your concerns um is something i think definitely people struggle with i think when you when you asked about uh, finding the right lawyer and finding a feminist lawyer uh, in case of women i think you know initiatives like these and you know building this kind of community really helps um uh, i think that's one way of having this pool of lawyers that you can go to uh and you can refer uh, to other people i think this this you know community building of this sort really helps because yeah i don't really see any other way as of now yeah i think that's good to know because um we need to know <laughs> uh, at least even if we know that uh, something is not possible we need to know that these are the limitations that are there and um find ways to get around it uh but i think that you know we've covered a lot about you know divorce and you know the kinds of divorce available and and how one can even begin to think of uh uh following a process or or finding a lawyer or filing a petition so i really like to thank you for your time and 
all the effort that you've put in to debunk all of this <laughs> for us. I think that yeah, you know, it's it's something that um, is really necessary, and I think that a lot of people will benefit from what you've said. Thank you for having me. Um, it was really nice talking about this, and I really hope it you know helps um, someone who's who's really clueless. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it will. Thanks. Thanks for your time. In our next episode, I'll be speaking to Radhika Lakshmikant, a professional counselor with over 15 years of experience working in Hyderabad with emotional counseling and marital counseling, and she'll talk a little bit about how to navigate and negotiate uh, the discussions with your partner or your partner's family in order to come to a mutual consent arrangement. Stay tuned.